got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Galatians 2. So if you could turn there. But first off, I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about um, some experiences I've had, a little bit about my life. See, my life actually hasn't turned out as I anticipated it would. We've been hearing that quite a bit, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up in Pakistan. I made reference to that when we did our panel. And I was a missionary kid. I lived there for 10 years. Um, and the experience of living in a different part of the world was an amazing one. It was genuinely amazing. We had some um, remarkable experiences. We survived the Gulf War when we were living there, which really sounds very dramatic. It wasn't quite as dramatic as it sounds. But we did have to keep a really low profile at that time. And um, we got caught in a riot once. You know, a family, I had four brothers and sisters, and um, we had our, my grandparents with us, and we were caught in this riot, and um, there's this protest going on, and got bit violent and we thought the car was going to be overturned and you know I didn't I was aware that we were in danger but um it wasn't it just seemed a bit fun but later on I realized how how frightened my parents were but they the men around the car were rocking it and it was they were trying to push it over and um amazingly just from the crowd of protesters this group of men wearing white shower camises just came around the car and held hands and protected us and I, I do remember that, and I just remember, you know, God just, in this craziness of all these protesters and these people, and there were some cars on fire and stuff, we, there was this, we just were able to drive away from it. Um, and God really, and when my mum my got home, um, she'd received a letter from the UK from a friend, um, and she hadn't read it that morning, but when she got home, she read it, and in it, the friend said, I just believe God wants to remind you that he will be a shield around you. He will protect you. You know, there were just some amazing stories of God's... Um, provision. Um, my parents got shot at, but my mum managed to drive, you know, duck down, like it's like a film, duck down, <laughs> driving like that, so they didn't get killed. Um, we had horrible diseases. My brother's got typhoid. Thankfully, my mother was a nurse, so she nursed them at home. My sister got septicemia. There was malaria. Um, there was, it was just dramatic. Cockroaches. I mean, disgusting things, like massive. I can't eat... Um, is it prunes or what is it that looks? Yeah, I can't. They just look like cockroaches. I just think it's wrong to eat something that looks like that. Um, <laughs> we survived as, children, as kids um, PE lessons. Now this will sound strange, but PE lessons are something to be survived because we basically had to march in synchronized, synchronized to music on a concrete playground. I didn't learn any games or. We had to march in school uniform um, to music, and it, it was yeah, it was interesting. But we survived them. Um, we survived a rock slide in the mountains of northern Pakistan, which is very exciting. My uh, the only time I've ever heard my mother swear actually. Um, we were up in the mountains on this bus, and there was this massive rock slide in front of us, and it was sheer drops. It was really dangerous. My parents were so irresponsible, um, but we were on, the, on this on this road, this and my my. I was the oldest. My younger siblings, we all had to get out because there was no way we could. And the bus couldn't turn around and it couldn't reverse. <laughs> so we were basically stuck. And my brother was, yeah, Andrew, was quite naughty. And he just decided to start clambering around. And my mum saw what was about to happen. She screamed, oh, Jesus. She went, Andrew, stop. And probably for the first time in his life, he was obedient. And he stopped. <laughs> and this massive rock just fell right in front of him. Um, it was... <laughs> Yeah, so praise God, um, we survived and we crossed this um, with our luggage, this rock slide, and we walked through the mountains for a bit until another van came. I don't know quite how it all worked out, but we managed to get where we were going. And along the way, there were these rocks with garnets in them that were just falling because there's 
jewels. It was just, it was really exciting. So th- th- these were our experiences. I mean, with the monsoon rains were remarkable because they would just come and it would rain and rain. And we used to watch our dogs swimming, our Labrador swimming in the garden from our roof, you know, just so surreal. But, you know, these were the experiences I had growing up. And my parents were, yeah, they were mad. They, they let us drive on the back of the bumper of our car. Um, they would drive and we would just cling on. And dogs used to chase us sometimes. And, and, and now I think about my life and think, oh gosh, I panic if like Daniel's got his arms out of the straps of his car seat. And yeah, I used to <laughs> cling on for dear life at the back of our car as we drove through wasteland. It was just mad. But my parents um, had only been mad for two years and then they um, felt called to India. And so they drove there in a transit van. Um, you know, as you do. And they've got these stories of falling into open sewers and being crushed between trucks in the Himalayas. And um, their lives, life was hard, but it was never boring. And their exploits for Jesus were always action-packed and flipping mental and this adrenaline thing. And I think I grew up really anticipating life being like that for me. Um, I wanted those kind of adventures in my adulthood. But we left Pakistan when I was 13 and we moved to Bromley. And um, I spent my teenage years there. But after my A-levels, I went to South Africa with OM, um, a mission organization. Some of you may have heard of it. And at the end of my time there, you had some amazing experiences there. I felt really excited about what God was going to call me to. It's kind of this ends of the earth thing. I really didn't want to come back to the UK and come to uni. Um, I did. Came back to the UK, went to Durham, um, and met James there. And we both got accepted onto a program called Teach First, at the time, it was based in London. I sort of mentioned that earlier. Um, we taught in London schools, and we joined New Community. It was meeting the school that James taught at. And it's not what I expected, um, the life I'm living now, but God's taken me on a real journey. You see, I, I'm a stay-at-home mum living in suburban Sidcup, which incidentally is only about four miles away from Bromley, where I spent my teenage years. So not what I'd expected at all. Um, and a lot of my life is really mundane. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, two-year-old, said that, but I spent a lot of my time doing housework, school runs, toddler groups, mopping up nosebleeds, fixing broken toys, building Lego, changing Daniel's nappies, keeping him out of trouble. He's, um, yeah, he's a real pickle. This, literally this week, he managed to lose our car key, and we spent two days not being able to use the car, and I eventually found it, like, in a little rucksack at the bottom of, like, a toy cupboard, something or another. And um, we've had welcome lunches at church before, and he's fascinated with water. Small children just always seem to be fascinated with water. We've had a welcome lunch at church, and he's taken toilet roll and blocked the um, the sink and turned all the taps on, and it's flooded this toilet and all of the outside, and it's really embarrassing. So a lot of my life is spent kind of keeping him out of trouble. It's all very ordinary, my life, for the vast majority of the time. Um, and if you need further proof, a friend, um, Ingrid, who's not Christian, she said to me the other day, she's like, I can't believe that you're a pastor's wife, that you're a leader's wife. You're just so normal. <laughs> <laughs> Literally her words. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, it's, it's actually, it's extraordinary. And I don't know if you would consider yourself to be living an extraordinary life, but in this session I want to touch on reasons why I think the ordinary run-of-the-mill stuff can be profoundly and deeply significant. Um, we're going to be focusing on Galatians 2, 20, verse 20. I think Liz already read this out. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live 
but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So your life became extraordinary the moment you put your faith and hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We've been hearing already today about the beauty of the gospel. You know, the old has gone, the new has come. Christ lives in us. Christ, the eternal word of God, you know, through whom and for whom all things are made, the exact representation of God's image. He lives in us. He lives in you. When you became a Christian, many things probably did stay the same. People's jobs, financial circumstances, sometimes relationship issues are still there. But everything changed on one sense as well, because the very nature of who you are changed. You became a new person with a new purpose. And as a Christian, we are no longer to live for the glory of our own name, but for the glory of his name. Our ultimate purpose becomes to know God, enjoy him and live for his glory. And that new reality, that new purpose, it's not about me anymore. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That new reality infuses our lives with a deep meaning and significance, which is really at odds with what the world around us tells us. Our culture screams constantly at us that our significance and our worth and acceptance is through what we do. We've been hearing it a lot today. Um, It's through your status, it's through your accomplishments, your education, the accumulated wealth, your assets your physical beauty, what you look like. That's where your worth is. That's where your significant lies. But as children of God, as daughters of living God, we have our lives hidden in Christ. And we live for something really different. That's what we're called to do. We're called to live for something really different. Because your deepest needs as a Christian have been met in Christ. Your deepest longings have been met in Christ. Our lives are no longer about proving ourselves chasing life, living it to the full, needing to make it all count, because Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, there's such a difference between me needing to chase life and, and get everything out of it that I can, because you only live, you know, live once. But no, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. He's done it. You know, we are blessed. Ephesians 1, it talks about we have got every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our lives, therefore, because he's done that for us, need to be about something very different. We chase something different. You know, we run hard to make his name great, not our name. And we do it through our everyday ordinary stuff. Whether we're teachers, students, lawyers, doctors, mums at home, cleaners, accountants, therapists, whatever, currently unemployed, we pursue the highest calling through our everyday responsibilities and callings. And it all counts. It's a mind shift that we need to understand. See, if you're a nurse or a doctor, the Lord of the universe has invited you to care for these patients and put their bodies back together to kind of capture something of the beauty of what he does for us spiritually. You know, the one who made dust become muscle and sinew, he's invited you to do this degree and to study it for his glory You know, he's entrusted you, the God of the universe, to be a waitress, to serve people well. You know, he came to serve, and you're 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 giving an example of that, to serve people well and be a blessing to your employers. It all counts. And there will be days when it feels like just a job, and I'm not suggesting, I am a bit intense, but I'm not suggesting that we all need to be really intense all the time and think about the profound significance of every small thing I do. 
But there is an element to which we were crucified with Christ and we have been raised to life with him and so we have to look at our lives with eyes of faith. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart on the things that are above. And then it says, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthy things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, our lives are caught up with eternity. And Paul is exhorting people to set your mind, set your heart on things that are above. Have eyes of faith. See the spiritual significance, it's saying, of everyday small decisions. Because that's what life is made up of. You know, we don't... You know, sometimes you feel like, oh, God, God needs to be really involved in those big moments. There are not many big decisions we actually have to make in our life. Becoming a Christian is a big decision. You know, who you marry is a really important decision. Probably what you, what you, you know, what church you give yourself to. After that, you know, jobs are probably a bit important. But after that, life is, you know, life happens in small decisions. Small everyday stuff. And we have to choose really wisely. We have to have gospel intentionality and eyes of faith. Our lives become extraordinary when we choose to cultivate heart attitudes that glorify Christ through the small, everyday, mundane, ordinary stuff. Whatever you're giving yourself to, okay, as long as it's not sinful, but whatever we're giving ourselves to, we have to cultivate attitudes in our heart that glorify Christ. Paul Tripp said, if God doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you, because that's where you live. If God's only involved in what I think are the important decisions, he's not really involved in your life at all. It's quite sobering. The mundane stuff is actually our primary place for being sanctified, made more like Christ. It's the primary place where we grow, is the everyday mundane stuff. It's where God gives you the most opportunity to glorify him and enjoy him. Because of James's role, he gets invited to do... I mean, I, I know it's me doing the really exciting thing <laughs> this weekend, but often he's the one that's away, and I'm the one left looking after the children. Um, and I, you know, on a weekly basis, so every Sunday, he, he leaves before um, I do, and I turn up with the kids by myself, and often I have to leave with the kids by myself as well. Um, and you can tell from my tone that I sometimes have a pity party about it and feel a bit sorry for myself. Um, and I actually found it really hard when I first had Ethan, because I was used to working. I taught for six years and I'd worked my way to be head of department and I had dreams of being in senior management and I hadn't really anticipated leaving my job but we felt led for me to make that decision and felt a real peace that God wanted me to be at home but transitioning wasn't a straightforward thing that first year was actually hard I found that really difficult because meeting targets and having tangible measures of success um, and gratitude and praise and feedback all the time and how my performance could be improved and that whole thing I didn't realize how much of my worth was caught up in it of just accomplishing things and feeling good about them you know not bad things like I love teaching and it was you know mostly a good heart attitude but I'd got caught up in it and then I was at home cleaning floors and little bottoms that only need to be cleaned in the same way a few hours later and um you know James would get home and he'd be like oh good kids are alive good right what's for dinner and I was like what is that the measure of success that they're alive I've not killed them um, <laughs> like what what is my life for um, and I found it it just took a lot of adjusting but God's taken me on a real journey and I've still got so much to learn but he's called me just like he's called you to live under his lordship 
and to see that our lives are not our own anymore. That's what it is about living under the Lordship of Christ. Your life is not your own anymore. And that process of surrender is a lifelong one. You don't just sort of get it in a moment. But the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and produces fruit. We become more Christ-like. The way God sovereignly chooses to do that in us will look very different for everybody. But because he loves you and you're his workmanship, the circumstances of your life, your colleagues, clients, husband, family, small group leaders, academic tutors, whatever, they all provide you with opportunities to glorify Jesus and grow in our enjoyment of him. Now you can take these opportunities and see them with spiritual eyes, with eyes of faith, or we can ignore them. We can do the same things, they look like we're doing the same things, but with a really different heart attitude. We can have resentment, complaining, grumbling. We'll grumble to God, you know, just complain, oh, this just isn't fair, you know, this. or we can even be indifferent or cynical. And those things, you know, we can even look like we're doing the same things, but in the heart, you know, God says so much in scripture, God looks at the heart. He's interested in what's going on in the heart, not necessarily about how that, what that looks like. Or we can walk in step with the Holy Spirit, discerning what he's working on, cultivating with his help attitudes that glorify the son who loves us and gave himself for us. And in your character, those things become visible. What starts on the inside works its way out. Fruit of the Spirit, patience, self-control, perseverance, gentleness, faithfulness. Our lives are to be a blessing because they are blessed. And living with gospel intentionality means that we make lots of the opportunities every day to glorify him to a watching world. Seeing that you are the hands of Jesus in your workplace. You are the hands of Jesus in your home. You display Christ. The friend I mentioned earlier who made the comment about me being really normal. Um, We've been getting a lot closer, really. And we've started to have... I'd been really praying for friends that were not Christians I could have deep conversations with because I found I just... Yeah, I just found that was lacking. I really needed non-Christian friends that weren't just, you know, people that I would just pass the time with, but meaningful, like deep conversations. And and it's been great. We've yeah, got had some really good chats. And she's she would never. I invited her to Alpha, and she said no because she wasn't seeking anything. She was already very happy with her life. Um, but I knew that wasn't true because I know that she's not spiritually alive. Um, because you only become spiritually alive when you have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what your friends, you've got non-Christian friends say, they're not satisfied because they're not, they're spiritually dead. And actually it was a really, um, lovely just going on this little journey with her. Um, I just thought it was like a cunning plan because we've launched a new website, um, at church was to say, oh, we'd really like some feedback about a new website. Here's the link. Have a look. Read, watch some of the videos. Tell me what you think. She was great. So she did that. And she was like, oh, it's quite interesting. So she came along to church. She's been along a few times. Um, she came along to an Alpha talk. She's not by any means there yet, but she's she's interested. She started to read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Um, her and her husband, who's a real staunch atheist, have started to talk about faith. And she sent me a text the other day saying, we've got lots of questions, so we want you and James to come around for dinner. Um, and <laughs> it's just very ordinary, everyday stuff. But we have eyes of faith. Because we are in Christ and we are to set our heart on things that are above. So we don't look at things and, and we look at things with spiritual eyes. We don't focus on the things that are seen. We, we put our confidence in the reality that we know is going into eternity, which is the spiritual stuff. That God can do extraordinary things in other people's hearts because you've been obedient in the everyday small stuff. 
extraordinary things. He can change people's hearts through things that you say. He can, you, people can grow spiritually because of things that you say. Don't underestimate what God can do through everyday simple acts of obedience. My friend said only the other day, because we were talking about Jesus and him dying and brought up hell. Yeah, classic. I was like, you know, it is a really tricky one. She's saying, the only thing I'm really struggling with is hell. I said, no, it is tricky. And she said, I'm kind of hoping I'll have been, you'll have converted me before that becomes an issue. <laughs> and I, I was really speechless, genuinely speechless, because <laughs> just wasn't, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, I just, just felt, you know, just doing today, just really, called to just remind us today that we live in a broken, broken world. You know, it's so sad how dark it is. Um, and some of my, I just don't know if I feel moved by it, but probably just overtired. Um, but my neighbours, literally just the people around me, their lives are so broken. We live in a broken world and the people around us are are desperate. They won't admit that. And some people think that they're not, but we know the truth. We know the truth that people are spiritually dead until they come into a relationship with the living God. And we have a treasure in us. You know, we're tre- it talks in scripture about treasure in jars of clay. And I just want to read some 2 Corinthians 4. Um, this is in verse 3, um, verse 4. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God for we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves for your servants for Jesus sake for God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ and we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us you know the God of this world has blinded people from the spiritual reality um, and we it's dark it really is dark but there's hope because Jesus has put his light into us you know it says there you know your light will shine um, he's put that shine in our hearts to give us the light we've got this knowledge of God and that is light and we have an opportunity to be salt and light we have this opportunity to, to expose people to the reality that they're living in. And we do it through everyday, ordinary, simple things. I took, you know, gave my neighbour a cake because I didn't know what else to do because his life's really difficult. It's a cake. It meant the world to him. <laughs> you know, nearly made, he nearly cried. I was just like, it's a cake. But, you know, simple things. We don't need to have the answers. Oh, we do have the answer. We don't need to be able to explain why God would make someone's life difficult or give someone cancer. We need to show love and his light and show that there is hope. So just feel really, yeah, really, really stirred that um, that we can do things. You know, we've, we've been given opportunities when you become a Christian. Because there's a treasure in you, God will give you opportunities to share that with other people. You are a treasure trove to the people around you who don't know Christ. And we've got to believe it and trust God for opportunities to be able to show people that. I had some neighbours and mum and school mums round for breakfast last week. There were about 10 of us and it was a really lovely atmosphere. And at one point I looked around and thought, this was not the mission field 
the, you know, really like action-packed, adrenaline-pumped mission field I thought that I would be um, living in at the moment. It was very middle class and we were eating lovely pastries and drinking good coffee. And I looked around and thought, is this, is this meaningful? And I just felt God speak to me that, yes, because I'm praying all the time for those people and those women that God will break into their lives. I was praying God soften their hearts will your gospel power, your mercy fall on their families. Come on, God, will you, will you do it? You know, praying all the time silently for them. And we live by faith. You know, we live with eyes of faith. You know, on the outside, that's just a really ordinary little, you know, friends round for coffee. But with eyes of faith, I'm thinking, no. No, these are people that God's put on my, on my doorstep. It's on my watch, and I want to do something. I want to pray for you guys. I'm going to look for opportunities to, to be able to talk to you about the hope that I have. Simple things will spark life in people. And we've got to have eyes of faith that we, we, we are people, vessels that God wants to use. You are a vessel that God wants to use. And talking about, yeah, I just, one thing that's really amazed me, because even though I had this experience of you know, being around Muslims a lot when I was growing up and imagining that I'd sort of go to the ends of the, the earth, where we live, and it's probably no different here, the ends of the earth are around me. They're my neighbours. My best friends that are not Christians at the moment, I've got a Hindu friend, a Muslim friend, and a Jewish friend. And we talk about faith quite a lot. Um, and I'm amazed because I didn't have to go to the ends of the earth to some far from very dramatic place. They live around me, and I've got amazing opportunities to to, to yeah, speak to people who are um, have got a very different idea of what spiritual life means. And actually... Um, yeah, it's just encouraging because God's done that. And bring, sparking life into people. I just did want to just briefly talk about friendship. Um, you know, I, I think many of you will, you know, be living in the good of good friendships um, in, in the church, and that's great. And just wanted to encourage you that biblical friendship is different to normal everyday friendships in some senses because you, as a, as a Christian, get to build one another up in Christ. It's a really wonderful gift, biblical friendship. Um, the gospel unites you, and therefore you don't have to be like other people for them to be your friends. I've got, I mentioned Yemi earlier, Nigerian, she's 50, but she's such a gift to me, and we're genuinely friends, and we laugh a lot, we pray a lot, and she encourages me and challenges me, and Christian friends are God's grace to us. They're an everyday grace. Um, women, and older and younger, can move us forward in the things of God, and get to play, and we get to play our part in the spiritual growth of others too. But it's our responsibility to surround us with friends that are good for us. Um, got to be really wise about who we surround ourselves with, because we can so easily forget that our hope is in God. We can so easily forget that He is our all-sufficient one, that His grace is sufficient for us, that our deepest needs are met in Him, and our friends help us remember. That's the wonderful joy of Christian friends. We forget, and our friends can help us remember. And we find our hope and our comfort in him. And so therefore we have to be wise about who we spend some time with. And just want to encourage you, if you, you know, just taking the initiative is really important with people. And just saying, look, you know, if you've seen somebody, Liz mentioned it earlier, seen somebody you think, I think you could help me grow in, in God, move forward in God. And they don't have to be a leader. It's not that. It's as a Christian, you have some experiences to help other Christians with. It doesn't matter if you've not been Christian for very long. We all have experiences that can help each other with. And it's about just 
feeling confident enough to ask somebody because you could be meet and pray sometimes and if you know and if they say oh I'm not sure just well can you point me to somebody who who does have some time who and actually it's it's the initiative and God's so faithful and I've prayed for friends I was really lonely when I started uni I found the first three years three not three years that'd been the whole of uni that'd been terrible no three months I didn't find any Christian friends and I found it really hard and I just remember feeling quite miserable, but praying constantly, God, give me friendships, please give me friends that will... And, and he was, he was so faithful by the end of it, just had this wonderful group of Christian friends. And I think just God is faithful. If you, yeah, if that's something that you, your slight loneliness, pray, he will provide you with the friends that you need. Um, I just also, the church is again, <laughs> we're talking about local church is extraordinary. On the face of it, it's ordinary and it's flawed like many other things and in society and life, but it is extraordinary being able to be part of the local church and just felt really stirred that having an extraordinary life means that we get to be part of the um, blood-bought, redeemed people of God. You know what? That's amazing. Yeah, we are part of the blood-bought, redeemed people of God. And the local church is the ingathering of the elect. It's an amazing thing and it's going into eternity just felt encouraged, you know, being part of the body of Christ, with Christ at the head, it's completely extraordinary. And we are to treasure it, treasure our local churches. According to scripture, it's the unveiling of the mysteries of the universe. And it's, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I just think we're called to give ourselves to it, to love it. It's never going to be perfect, but it is the hope of the world. It's not perfect. People will let you down. People will... You'll feel disappointed with people. Been hearing about that as well. But we are the hope of the world, and you might serve in a kids' team, or you might put out chairs, or you might um, be on the refreshments team serving coffee, and you might think, "Oh, does this really make any difference? Does this really matter?" And the answer is yes. It really, really matters. It's a massive deal because the church is a preview of the kingdom that is coming. That is what it is. The church is a preview of what is coming. It's like an outpost. We're pointing to it. We're embodying it. And so your heart attitude as you serve and play a part really matters. As I say, a seven, a kids team, two to five, and a lot of it is wiping snotty noses and doing endless toilet trips so the girls can just, you know, play with toilet roll and dry their hands again or whatever it is. But So on the surface of it, it's like, oh, here we go again. At least in the meeting they're having a good time. But no, that's not having eyes of faith for what we're doing. Because Jesus said, if you welcome a child in my name, you're welcoming me. And so there is a steep significance with everything. It's like every part of how we serve. It all matters. And um, what you do, you do unto the Lord. So uh, yeah, let's be generous with our time. I'm sure many of you are. And I uh, just want to encourage you to keep going. You know, Don't be weary of doing good and giving of yourself. Because he, Jesus has given us all of himself. And um, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, um, it says that if, as a Christian, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has already prepared good things for you to step into. Now, that is, that is really good news for us. It, you probably can't step into the fullness of those things that he's prepared for you if you're not fully committed to a local church. Yeah, two out of four weeks in a month is not going to help you to walk in the fullness of what God has really prepared for you. But just like because of grace he chose to save you, he also has pre-planned beautiful ways for you to serve the body of Christ. It's, you know, he's, he's, on nothing that you did, 
you know, on the basis of nothing of your own doing. He chose you um, and loved you and saved you. And equally, he's pre-planned good things for you to do. And they might not be the good things that you would hope for. They might not be the good things that you would wish for. But they are good things that he's chosen for you that will glorify him and his name. And if the gospel really is the gospel, then we will be satisfied with whatever it is he's called us to. Being the toe is not as glamorous as being the fist. Um, I don't know why I thought fist, it just seemed dramatic. But, um, <laughs> but if the gospel really is what it claims to be, which is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, then we will be as satisfied being a toe or anything else as we will being a fist. See, our lives are not our own. They were bought for a price and our lives are hidden in Christ and we get to become more and more like him through our everyday, everyday obedience, everyday mundane stuff, everyday conversations, everyday friendships, everyday, every, you know, day serving of our local churches. And in every moment they can become deeply significant. And I felt very stirred, just got a few more minutes, just to talk about a grace culture just something that James and I are really passionate about in our church is what it looks like to create a culture of grace in our church and in the communities that we're part of. Um, you know, it's not it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one because it's not lawlessness and it's not legalism. It's a path in between. It's like as a parent with your children, you don't want to produce prodigals or Pharisees. You don't want self-righteous little, you know, do-goodies, but you also don't want rebellious hearts. And there's a way in between, the, the, the way of grace. You know, we don't want lawlessness, but we don't want self-righteous legalism. There's a grace way, and Jesus has shown us that way. But it's tricky, and we've got to be intentional about what those cultures look like in our communities. People often belong before they believe. And that's really important, because they, they've recognized something that we've got, belonging and purpose, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's okay, that people belong before they believe. That's fine. People need to feel that the church is a safe place where they're welcomed and accepted and not judged. We've got a girl in our church who's been coming for a while and she was bullied all her life and the only places that she felt safe was at church and being part of the LGBT. Um, and it's, she belonged for a long time and last Sunday she gave her life to Jesus. And that's what our churches need to be, safe places where people are not judged but people are loved and welcomed in. And... When people get saved, so we've had the privilege in the last few years of having families that have been saved, like a mum got saved and then her husband got saved and, you know, their kids are on the way. And But they were not brought up in a Christian environment. Um, we can't expect people to start behaving as if they've been Christians all their lives um, when they've just come into a knowledge of God. There's got to be so much, we've got to be so careful about what we expect and the comments that we make so that people feel accepted and loved and, and able to be on the journey that God set them on in, in their timing. We can't expect people to do a double conversion, <laughs> convert to Christ and then convert to our nice church culture of how we behave. You know, that's, that's completely not biblical. We want people to convert to a gospel culture, yes, but actually we've got to be really discerning about what the expectations we have for people. You know, we want to see our churches grow, don't we? We want to see people that are broken coming into a knowledge of Christ and being added to our church community. It's going to be very difficult for that to happen if our culture is not one of grace. And so it's uncomfortable sometimes because we sit in meetings and there are kids running in and out because, you know, they've not been church for very long. They don't know you're supposed to stay in kids' work. And sometimes it's like, 
oh, that's just not what we do. You know, you go to kids' work and we all sit and listen and now we're being interrupted by all these, you know, sort of rowdy children. But actually, that's wonderful that they're here and they need to feel accepted. And I don't need to go up to those parents and say, oh, don't you know that... I don't need to make it an issue because they are already painfully aware of the fact that it's an issue. You won't need to say anything to them. They know that they're... And actually, we don't need to highlight it because... God's doing a work in their hearts. And yeah, it might feel a bit distracting, but we've got to be really careful about the kind of cultures we create. And we create cultures by the sort of comments we make. You know, the, the, I've spoken to so many people recently who've come, you know, in their, you know, middle, middle ages, as it were, to, into, and who say they feel like second-class Christians sometimes, just because it feels like everybody else has these perfect neat lives and they don't they're single mums or, or they come and they're you know they're, they're, their husbands are not interested or whatever it is and they look around and everyone seems to be doing so well and it's going so well and, and they feel like they're second class and it's, we've got to be so careful that that's not the message that we're giving out we are all equal at the foot of the cross none of our lives are perfect we are all on a journey we are all messed up in some way and God is putting us back together and that's what sanctification is he is making us new and we're all on that journey and there's got to be so much grace for people who are not there and that's it's an intentional thing so when we started a baby group when um, Ethan was born I said to the mums look let's talk about what kind of a culture we want in this group because if we don't talk about what kind of culture we want it will be exactly like the culture out there we've got to be intentional so we agreed we wouldn't compete we wouldn't post things on Facebook about how much weight our baby had put on or how pretty they looked in this thing. And it's not that we, you know, it's not that those things are an issue per se, but we wanted to be radically different and we didn't want to compete with one another. We didn't want to brag about our kids and about their accomplishments. And, and actually, I think in the last few years, the way that as a community we use Facebook has completely changed. Um, because Facebook is a great way for you to project the best version of you. And it's damaging because God doesn't need us to project the best version of us. He's come into our lives and made us new. And we don't need to project anything other than him. Um, so, yeah, there just a few things I just felt God put on my heart that we need to be um, radical in our everyday. And we need to be radical in the way we build cultures in our communities that are graceful, um, but that doesn't mean they're lawless. You know, there are tough conversations you have to have when people are believers and they're making decisions that are really bad for them. We speak the truth in love. And that is really important. You know, it's something that you've got a growing confidence in, but it's, it's yeah, it's something that I just feel God's been taking us on a journey with. Um, but I just, yeah, I just want to encourage you all that God's, God started a work in you and he'll bring it to completion and it's so exciting because God wants, God's heart is that he rescues people out there who don't know him and bringing them into a knowledge of him, a saving knowledge of him and, and that will be accomplished through your everyday ordinary stuff. Simple acts of obedience and it's gonna, it's remarkable the stories that can be told when we put our, we put our confidence in him who's able to do more than we can ask or imagine and we have eyes of faith just want to pray for us right now that we would have eyes of faith to see the unseen things that he's doing in the people around us and in our own hearts as well. So if you could just, yeah, just pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to talk about you and your gospel and your power at work in us. Thank you that we are um, vessels for your treasure. Thank you that you've deposited treasure in us, um, that, you know, we are 
not about the glory of our own name, but the glory of your name. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give us fresh eyes of faith for what you're going to do through us and in us? God, I pray for um, real confidence in your purposes, that we would all know that um, you have given us good works, good things to do. You don't need our good works, but our neighbours do. <laughs> you don't need our good works. That is not the basis on which we're saved, but our neighbours who don't know you do. So I pray, God, would you... Would you, you do something in our hearts? Would we, would we ache for the things that you ache over? Would we, would we be broken for the broken God? Would you give us compassion for the people around us? And would we, would we recognize that we are constantly being given opportunities by you in the everyday life that we're not to despise, but we're to, to really look at with eyes of faith? In Jesus' name, amen.